Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, good morning, C4. Good morning to you in the north and to those listening online. I wonder this week how many of you found ways to avoid pain in your life. Anyone went to the dentist this week? I bet you had freezing, and if you didn't, what's wrong with you anyway? You know, some of you have an exercise program you're doing, but uh, actually you avoided pain this week, you know? Some of you are trying to diet, and that you also try to avoid pain. You know what I'm saying? Like, we avoid pain. It's actually natural. We don't enjoy suffering, do we? But you see, the Christian life, and as we've been learning as we've been going through this series on 1 Peter, is that following Jesus is not a cakewalk, is it? That actually Peter has been reminding us and Pastor John's been teaching us that suffering and pain are actually a natural part of the Christian life. So here's the thing. This is not a message about how to avoid pain. Sorry. If you're waiting for that this morning, can't give it to you. This is actually a message on how we can have living hope right in the middle of pain and suffering. So let me ask you this. What do you actually really believe about suffering? What do you really believe about suffering? You see, a theology or a belief system on suffering that would be normal, that is very common in our world we live in, sounds something like this. Suffering happens. Stuff happens. It's something simply to endure. You just got to get through it. Have you ever heard yourself saying, oh, I'll just get through this. It's just a season. I just want to get through it. Along with that idea comes this. Suffering is actually worthless. Uh, It has no value. It's actually detrimental We need to either get through it or get rid of it. Suffering is like uh, a random and it's senseless. It's like a drive-by shooting of innocent people. That is actually a belief of suffering. And it actually may be your belief. But is this, is that the Christian response? Is that how we're to go through our life, viewing suffering and pain? Well, Peter has been teaching us through this letter, hasn't he? And Pastor John has been reminding us that the Christians that Peter is writing to, many of them were Gentiles that converted to Christianity. You see, they aren't used to being the cultural minority in culture. They're used to being very comfortable and at home in their city. But you see, now that they've accepted the gospel of Christ, now they say that they're going to choose to follow Christ, they are experiencing isolation And they're experiencing personal hostility in their life. I mean, they are under Nero. The reality of the persecution of Christians is very real to them. Certainly, they would feel that signing up to follow Jesus has not turned out to be such a great blessing. In fact, some of them may even wonder what they sign up for and if they'd done the right thing. 
They were also suffering not just from the outside and from culture itself, but John reminded us last week that suffering is something that takes place inside in a believer's life. When we're reminded that when we choose to follow Jesus, we say no to our natural fleshly desire to to live the old way that we used to live, right? We choose no longer to be just part of the world and living the worldly way of life. We say no to to partying, to, to drunkenness, to worshiping other gods, to sleeping around or sleeping with our boyfriend or girlfriend. We say no to these things. Why? Because we're better than others? No. Because we're actually choosing to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And with that comes suffering. You see, there's a few sources for suffering. Scripture reminds us that the world, our own flesh, and the devil himself are sources of suffering when you are a follower of Christ. The world will mock you. They will misunderstand you. You no longer hold the same values. Uh, Our own flesh, our own sinful desires wage a war within us, Scripture says. You know, we stop giving in to our natural desire to sin. And the devil himself is simply out to destroy us. We may not be under the threat of ISIS, as many of our brothers and sisters are even today, And that is not our assignment yet. But we are under the the ruler of the prince and the power of this air, this evil one, Satan himself, is out to cause us suffering and pain and simply to destroy us. So what do we really believe about suffering? Is it something that just happens and you just have to get through and there's no meaning to it at all? Well, let's look back into scripture today, 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to be starting at verse 12. And Peter opens with these words, dear friends. And I say to you as one that's speaking to you this morning, I, I begin the message this morning by saying, dear friends. See, when you're a friend with somebody, you actually, you relate with them, don't you? You're not above them. Peter was not above the people he was writing to, he wasn't speaking with arrogance or judgment. He was coming as their friend. He was saying, I get this too. And and that's how I'm coming to you today. I'm going to share with you personally some of my own suffering and pain today as one of your friends. And together we're going to learn from First Peter, how we can find living hope right in the middle of that. He says, dear friends, don't be surprised by the fiery ordeal. I just actually like that word ordeal. You know, another word for it is trial. It, it is a test. This is, but when you say ordeal, you're like, what is the deal with that? You know what I mean? Like it's big. When you say you're going through an ordeal, it is significant. He says, actually, don't be shocked. Don't take a double take. Don't look around and wonder whatever happened. You didn't see that one coming. You're suddenly in complete distress. Have you ever been shocked, actually completely shocked by an ordeal that's come in your life? Well, I know the answer is yes, because I have. Maybe it was illness for you. Maybe it was actually a car accident that just 
you know, upset your whole world and caused catastrophe in your life. Maybe it was the breaking of a relationship that you did not see coming. Maybe it was your spouse who you found out was cheating on you. I mean, shock. It is an ordeal. There are many ways we can lose our jobs, can't we, without any warning. Some of you have faced financial ruin in your life with hardly any warning at all. These are fiery ordeals. Well, I can tell you that I've had several fiery ordeals in my life. And I would say I was shocked. We were raising our kids. I've shared our story a few times, but I can tell you that several years back when, you know, we'd raised our kids to follow Jesus and prayed that they would and things were looking not too bad. My oldest son was coming out of grade 11 and going to grade 12, and he went up and he was working at a Christian camp all summer. He was a leader at a Christian camp, like, woo, feeling pretty good, you know? Good mom and dad there, eh? And he's serving Jesus, and he's growing, and we have hope, and we're like, man, this guy is doing so great. And, and, and to top it off, he didn't just lead at the Christian camp, then he went on a mission trip. You know, we went on a mission trip to Jamaica to serve Jesus, and we're just like, man, we're just so proud of our kid and, and feeling pretty good maybe about our own parenting. Somehow it had something to do with us, and at least so we thought. And, and you know, things were looking up, and, and then after he came home from that mission trip, he was very angry. Uh, we saw an anger in him. He was, he was hurt and angry uh, about some of the leaders um, at the camp, uh, the mission trip, you know, and, and we were just ha- trying to help him process through it. We were talking through it and praying about it and really feeling actually he was going to, you know, this is just, he's going to make it through this. And about three weeks, I'm not exaggerating, but three weeks after the mission trip, I, I literally looked at my son. I thought, I, I don't really know who are you. Like his attitude, everything changed. He, he started hanging around with different people. Do you know by Christmas in three months, our, our son was gone. He was with a whole different group of kids. He had no interest in the church. He had no interest in following Jesus. He was just walking an angry boy. Partying became the norm. Drugs and alcohol became the norm. And as he would say, the addiction soon took over and he became a drug addict and alcoholic. I I was shocked. I was shocked. I wrote in my journal, and I shared this in a counselor's office. Listen to my words. It's not worth it to follow Christ when I'm losing my son. It's not fair. I don't deserve this. I chose not to party when I was a teen. I said no to drugs and chose purity so that my kids would too. I've been faithful to God. I have served him, but this, this is not what I signed up for. What's my theology on suffering? What did I really believe about suffering? Well, you can hear it in that statement. I don't deserve it. Stuff happens. It shouldn't happen to me. It's something to be avoided. Suffering Uh, means that I've done something wrong. It's not fair. There is no good that can come out of this. Do you hear my theology on suffering? Peter says, and I say to you, dear friend, he knows, and I know, 
that we face shock and surprise and fiery ordeals in our life. And he speaks with a voice of compassion, and so does Jesus. Listen to Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with us in our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus and Peter tell us, don't be shocked, don't be surprised when you go through fiery trials at that fiery ordeal. Jesus himself, he empathizes with you. Yet he did not give up and he did not give in. A believer's theology has to sound more like this. Listen in. Suffering happens for a reason. It is actually part of this life. It's not just something to get through. Suffering is not worthless. It's actually valuable. We need it. We embrace it. We expect it. And we actually will receive it as a gift from God. What is your belief about suffering? Well, first, we know this to be true, that the source of all suffering does not come from God, but God allows it. The source of suffering may be the world itself. We live in a broken world, don't we? We suffer in this world. The source of your suffering may be your own flesh, your own desire to sin and to give in to sin, or those that you love. The source of suffering may be Satan himself. They are the source of suffering God permits. Romans 8.28, for we know that in all things, the good things, the bad things, the ugly things, God works for the good of those who love him. Therefore, the Christian to the Christian suffering isn't just something to get through. It's not a random act, senseless act. God uses suffering in our life as part of his divine plan, and that is why we can actually have living hope right in the middle of it. You see, that changes everything. I'm going to show you four reasons in this chapter why suffering is actually part of the normal Christian life. Are you ready? Will you lean in and receive this? Here's reason number one. Suffering comes in our life to test us, to actually prove that our faith is real, that our faith is genuine, that our faith is authentic. Uh, John taught us this in chapter 1, verse 7 of Peter. He said, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire. These have come. These trials have come. Peter says, don't be surprised. Actually react with joy because this testing becomes a means of actually refining you to actually bring out the best in you, to actually prove to you and to others that your faith is real. It's like, it's illustrated by the jewelry business. This is like the refining of gold that actually when tested by fire, all the impurities are burned off and only the pure metal is left. That is what God does when he takes us through 
trials, fiery ordeals in our life, what is real will last. You know you can't fake it when you're in the fire. You know what I'm saying? You cannot fake it when you're in the fire. When you are in a fiery ordeal, whatever you actually believe in will come out. Wasn't it true for me? You can see by my statement what I actually believed in. It comes out when you go through the fire. It's like a sponge. You know when you squeeze a sponge, whatever is in it comes out. You know? This is a profound truth that we find all through Scripture that as Christians, as God allows testing and trials in our life, it is to refine us, it is to grow us up, it's to prove to ourselves and others that our faith is real, and it actually shows us what we really believe. We actually shouldn't think that this is a strange thing. God allows suffering in our life, but remember, He is not the source of all suffering. God allows it, uses the world, uses the flesh, uses the devil, all part of his, his um, economy, and he turns intended evil into ultimate good. Did you hear what I said? He turns intended evil into ultimate good. You see, we see this illustrated in Scripture when you look at the story of Job, and Satan walks into the throne room of God, and God says these very words to Satan, all right? You may test him. The Lord said to Satan, do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence, and this was the beginning of Satan going out to test Job by God's permission. We see this in the story of Joseph that God allowed the evil actions, the evil intent of Joseph's brothers to ruin him, but God used it to accomplish good. Genesis 50, verse 20 says, As for you, you meant evil against me, Joseph said to his brothers, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You see, God's economy is upside down from the ways of this world. The way up is down. He uses trials in our life to shape our character, to teach us to trust him, and to not put faith in ourselves, but actually to put faith in God. So here's my question to you. Will you pass the test? If God uses fiery trials to test us, will you pass the test? You see, you have to understand and receive a test as being from God. You can spend a lot of energy blaming the world, the flesh, and the devil. But if you actually look at it as God is giving this to you by his permission as a test, then you will lean into the test. You will ask God what he wants to teach you from the test. You will trust that he will bring good benefit through the test. Or you can actually resist it. You can get mad. You can get sad. You can choose not to trust in God. In fact, you can walk away from God, and many people do. You have a choice. Trust God, get bitter or angry, but here's the thing. These tests that God permits in our life, if we don't pass the test the first time he tests us, the test will keep coming back around. How do I know this? Because it's been true in my own life. 
When I have not leaned into the test, I find that God uses other ways in my life because he actually wants to teach me the lesson because he loves me. He wants to refine me. He wants to shape my character. He wants me actually to get ready for the next assignment. See, we want all the assignments that God has for us in our life. We want God's will in our life, but we don't see this as part of the deal. But actually, it's part of the deal. And if we pass the test and lean into the test and see it as a test from God, then it becomes easier. (laughs) Not to say that suffering is fun, but when we're with him in the suffering, he moves us from this test into the next assignment. Here's the second reason why we shouldn't be surprised when trials come our way. This passage tells us Jesus also suffered. If our goal as followers of Jesus Christ is actually to be like him, then to be like him includes his suffering. Being tested like him, being tempted like him, identifying with him in his suffering. Look at verse 13. But rejoice in as much as you get to participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Well, to participate simply means this. You get to share in. You get to identify with. You get to experience the same thing. When you get to know someone, it's because you have something in common with them, right? Like you share something with them. You identify with them. When we get to know Jesus and we identify with Jesus, part of our identifying with who Jesus is and becoming like him is sharing in the same suffering that he experienced. You see, Jesus was ridiculed. Jesus was mocked. Jesus was misunderstood. He was put down. He was uh, mocked by the intellectuals and the religious leaders of the time. He was tempted to give in to sin. How can we become more like Christ when we don't actually go through the same things that he endured? He suffered to the point of death, even death on a cross. Philippians 3.10 says this, Paul writes that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. I love that part. I love knowing him and I love knowing the power of his resurrection. But the verse doesn't stop there. It says, and may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death. Sharing in his sufferings, it's part of the way that we actually get to know Christ. So what is the opposite of being surprised or shocked? It's actually to anticipate something, right? It's actually to expect something. And this is actually the attitude and the perspective that as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to have in our life. We should actually expect to suffer both by the hands of men and from the devil himself. You see, once you shift your focus that no bad thing should ever happen to me, if I live a good life, if I stay out of trouble, if I mind my own business, if I obey God, all of his rules, nothing bad will happen to me. Not. If you're a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have an enemy, the devil, and his agenda for you is simply this, 1 Peter 5.8, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. In other words, don't be shocked, 
Don't be surprised. Don't be asleep at the wheel. The enemy has one agenda for you, believer, and he is out to devour you. This is a word of destruction. Look at John 10.10. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's it. That is the enemy's assignment for you on your life. Jesus says, my purpose is, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And you know what? A rich and satisfying life in kingdom terms is joy in the middle of suffering. That is what it means to live a rich and satisfying life. Reason, uh, so this is the thing. We cannot be shocked when troubles come our way. We actually get to be joyful because we're sharing in the suffering of Christ. And we know that in the end, all things will be made right. John reminded us of that last week in the passage, that vindication will come. This is why our hope, we can have hope now and glorious hope in the end. And we will actually say, it's worth it. Here's the third reason. If you suffer so that you can actually experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 14 says, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Doesn't that sound like Matthew? Doesn't that sound like the Sermon on the Mount once again? You are blessed when you are persecuted. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. This is speaking of the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of Christ that dwells in you as a believer. Ephesians 5.18 says, don't be drunk with wine. In other words, don't be under the influence of something else. Don't let something else control you because that will actually ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the word there is to keep on being filled. You see, the power of the gospel, the power of following Jesus Christ, and the key to suffering is the relying on the Holy Spirit. John and I do these short videos called Table Talk after every Sunday sermon. We tape these short videos and we send them out to our connect groups to help them with their discussion. And last week we were just saying in our Table Talk video that If we didn't get the Holy Spirit to help us follow Christ, neither one of us would sign up for this. Like, that's the truth. You can't be a Christian. Why would you want to be a Christian if you had to suffer all by yourself? It's actually impossible. But the truth is, you get the Holy Spirit. And that's how we go through suffering. Listen to what the role of the Holy Spirit is. He's your comforter. He is the one who teaches you. He gives you perspective. He guides you in your decisions. He helps you with your emotions. He guards your heart and your mind and your tongue. He is your helper. Before you get all excited and you're like, bring on the suffering this week, I can hardly wait. This is so fantastic. I'm not going to be surprised. I'm going to, I'm going to get the Holy Spirit. We just have to pause for a minute because Peter just gets real with us. He's kind of like a good dad. He says, wait, kids, hold up a minute. Verse 15, if you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. Now, in other words, if you decide to do dumb things, Well, that's your own fault. You're suffering because you're doing dumb things. Now, actually, you're suffering because you're choosing to sin. You know what? Sometimes we suffer in our life directly to our own choices to go along with evil and sin. Anybody? 
right? You can't blame the world, the flesh, the devil, God himself. You got to look right here. You know, like if we murder, we're going to jail. If we steal, we might lose our job, our reputation, might end up in jail too. If we make trouble, trouble will come to find us. If we meddle into other people's business, like what? Murder and meddling in the same list? You know, I love how Peter never lets any of us get off, right? All these lists in 1 Peter, none of us can get away with not being included on the list. We're all dirty, rotten sinners. That is the truth of the matter. And we are capable of bringing suffering into our own lives, murder or meddling. Wow, none of us get off. We can't blame anybody else but ourselves. Are you suffering in your life right now because you have chosen to sin? You have chosen to meddle. You have chosen to lie, to cheat, to steal. Well, you know what Peter says? Well, too bad on you. You chose that. That's why you're suffering. But here's what the scripture tells us. Confess your sin. He is faithful. He is just. He will forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But he may not remove the consequences. I added that. But that's the truth. You see, we have consequences when we choose to sin in our life. Now, sometimes God does remove the consequences. But here's what he more likely does. He goes with us through the consequences. Anybody? Right? He actually goes with us through the consequences. And he uses those consequences to refine us, to grow us up, to make him more like himself. So verse 16, back to what he was talking about. However, if you're actually suffering as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you get to bear his name. He says, if your suffering is directly connected to the fact that you're a Christian, then don't be ashamed, but thank God that you actually get to wear the name Christian. It was first used when the people came to Christ in Antioch, it says, and then they were called Christians, Christ followers. You see, we're one of his kids. We get to wear his name. And at times we wear his name proudly in times of suffering in our life, knowing that ultimately he's going to use it for our good and that we're representing a good dad. Here's another reason why we suffer. Reason number four, suffering now, it's not easy, but it's way better. It is much better than suffering in eternity. Verse 17 says, For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? You see, we were reminded last week, judgment is coming, both for those who choose not to follow God and for those of us who are followers of Christ. Christians and non-Christians, we are both going to face judgment. If we are judged as believers, we're judged for our motives, we're judged for our obedience, we will give an account in our life how we used our spiritual gifts, 
How did you steward the gifts God gave you? Did you obey him when he asked, gave you assignments? Were you a good steward of the assignments he gave you in your life? You will be judged for how you live your life as a follower of Jesus. Did you waste your spiritual gifts? Did you truly love others? Did we participate with God in the assignments that he gave us, that he made us for? Did you find your purpose and meaning in living step by step with the Spirit of God? We will be judged. We will be given an account. And our assignment then in eternity will be based on how we live now. You see, part of the refinement now in our life is not all about this life. We're being refined right now for the assignment that's yet to come. Like in perspective, this life is this big compared to all of eternity. He has created you for eternity. He has assignments for you in eternity. And what you do now, you will be judged on based on, and it will move you forward into eternity based on your response now. That is a very sobering thought. Can you imagine, as this verse says, what it will be like for those who reject Jesus to stand before Christ, the all-living God, and be someone who persecuted Christians? Wow. You see, we as Christians, we may have to endure suffering for a short time in this life. What those who do not accept Christ will face an eternity of suffering. It's a very sobering thought. It gives us perspective on the trials and the fiery ordeals that we face now on this side of eternity, doesn't it? As Christians, we have to develop a stubborn streak a determination that because we know that judgment is coming, we must strengthen our resolve to obey God in the face of suffering and injustice on this side of eternity, right? No matter what happens, we must live our lives in the light of God's judgment to come. We must learn to submit everything to his final assessment and and be ready for judgment You know, as a teacher, I would test my students, not because I was mean, at least not on most days. Uh, I would test my students because I wanted them to be ready and successful for what was to come next. You see, I had years of teaching music, and I knew that my students were going to face the judges. I knew that my my bands, my choirs, they were going to go to the adjudicators. And those adjudicators, they were going to be tougher than Mrs. Hartshorn. And I wanted them ready because I wanted my kids to, when they were ready, when they had to be go before the judges in competition, or they had to go to Music Fest Canada amongst all these other bands across our country, that they would be ready. That's why I tested them, because I wanted them to be able to face the judge and go with confidence before the judge that they had been refined and that they were ready to receive the judgment that would come to them, but that they had been tested and they were ready to stand. God tests us as a way of purifying us because he actually wants us to stand on judgment day. He wants us to get us ready for judgment. He refines us for our next assignment in eternity. This is but a dress rehearsal. So it brings us to this amazing conclusion in verse 19. How then shall we live? Verse 19 says, So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. 
So then, because of all that Peter's been telling us in this amazing letter about suffering, that we can have joy as Christians regarding the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the reality that this life ends and judgment is to come, that when we suffer according to God's will, it actually means it's as a result of being a follower of Christ by permission of the Father to test us, to grow us up, no matter whether we suffer by the hands of evil people or Satan himself, God will use it to bring about our greater good he will, bring it, he will bring about to strengthen our faith, to affirm our faith, and to actually give us life. We are told to commit ourselves in this verse. It says we should commit themselves. When you commit yourself to something, there's nothing wishy-washy about it, right? When you commit yourself, another word that is used in many translations is to entrust yourself. This word is so dear to my heart. To entrust something means to hand over something of value to the care of another. And essentially what this is saying is, will you hand over your very life, your very self to the care of another but just not any other, but our faithful creator. You see, we put, we can hand things over to people that we trust and that we, that we know will be faithful. Suffering right now is, is not, this fiery ordeal is not so that we can, you know, be beat up in this life in any way. But here's what we say when we are a follower of Jesus Christ. We will not be surprised when we suffer from others, whether it's rejection from family or friends. The fact that we stop going to places and participating in in activities in our life or unhealthy friendships uh, that we once did when we didn't follow Jesus, that we will withstand mockery, that we will be left out and misunderstood. Uh, suffering for Christ, uh, we will be able to say, we're not surprised when suffering uh, is for us choosing to say no now to sin ruling over us. Not giving in anymore to our flesh, but, but denying our flesh and the unhealthy habits, choosing purity, choosing language, treating people the way God through the power of his spirit, will help us treat them and love them. We will not be surprised when the enemy actually comes to test, to tempt us, to torment us. But we, he will want to discourage us, to shame us, to tell us to quit. He'll say, I'm going to go after your kids. I'm going after your spouse. He wants to steal our joy. He wants to steal our families. He wants to steal our purpose. And we will not be surprised or shocked. Here's our response, church. Lean in. Here is our response. Here is our theology. Here's our belief about suffering. We will receive this trial as a good test from God. Anybody? Will you receive the trial as a good test from God? We actually want to learn the lessons that he has for us. You want to learn the lessons? We won't waste the trial or the test or the suffering. We will actually welcome it. We will welcome the will of God and the rule and the reign and the lordship of Christ because we know that he will refine us. He will make us better because of it.
We won't give up. We won't give in to the enemy or to evil people. We will endure. We will keep our eyes on Jesus in the middle of our suffering. We will rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to help us through. We will trust ourselves to the loving care of a faithful creator. I mean, just pause for a moment. Think about this word, faithful creator. You don't trust people or put your hands and trust anything to people who are not faithful, to people who will not come through for you. But I can tell you with assurance that we have a faithful creator. We have a faithful God. He will not change, and he always comes through. He is also our creator. He is our father. He designed you. He knows everything about you. He knows what you actually need in your life. And he won't give you more than you can bear, Scripture tells us. He knows what you can take for the season and the time, and he won't abandon you. He actually came to us as our faithful creator, didn't he? He took on our sin and our suffering that we should have paid. And he gives us the Holy Spirit as our comforter, our teacher, our guide, and our structure. So how do we live? How do we live in light of this? We continue to live a good life. We continue to do good. That's what it is. We follow the example of Jesus Christ. We talk, we walk, we think like, we respond like Jesus. In our own strength, never. Impossible. But through the power of the Spirit, yes. This has been outlined in this letter of First Peter. Here's what it looks like to follow Jesus. Obey masters. Submit to authorities, both in the church and in in government. Submit to leaders, follow the laws, do good despite the consequences. Uh, Submit to husbands. This is how we know that we actually are followers of Jesus. So what was my response? Back to my bad theology. (laughs) Did my theology ever change about suffering? Oh, yeah. You see, Jesus refined me, and it was good. My husband and I, We made a choice. It wasn't just my one son that was running from Jesus and addicted to drugs and alcohol, but soon after, our next two kids all chose a similar path. And in our pain, we had a choice. And we got on our knees, and we entrusted. We entrusted. We decided to put our lives in the care of a good father. We entrusted the lives of our children into the hands of our faithful creator. And the one that has made us and made our kids, the one that would not abandon us, the one that would actually work all things together for good, even the most painful, the most difficult things, the things that you thought would never end, the things some days you had to remind yourself that you're trusting God again today, he proved himself to us. He proved himself to us. He is faithful beyond definition. He is greater than any other power in this life, any other source in this life. World, flesh, devil, he overcomes it all. Through years of struggling and pain, we watched how our faithful creator went after our kids. And it was through him and the power of the Holy Spirit that he brought each one of them back to Jesus. 
And he changed them, and he refined them, and he tested them. He permitted their journey to refine them. What the enemy meant for evil and destruction, God has used for his good, for our good, and definitely his glory. Romans 5 says this, Rejoice in suffering. So, but we also glory in our sufferings, it says, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, character hope, there it is, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through who? The Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Church, how will you respond in the middle of your fiery ordeal. As the band comes up now, as we prepare to respond in worship, I want to ask you this question. What is your true theology and belief about suffering? What do you actually believe about suffering? Do you believe that it is, that's a test from God? Do you believe that you will get the Holy Spirit? Do you believe it's because you're, you're identifying more with who Jesus is? Do you believe that it's part of your growing up? Do you believe that he will do good with it? Will you entrust yourself to the care of a good father right now in the middle of that ordeal? The one who loves you, the one who suffered for you. In our discussion guide this week with our connect groups, it asked this question at the end of the study. What suffering do you need to thank Jesus for? You, when you start thanking Jesus for suffering, changes everything. Changes everything. But I have to ask this question before we close. If you say you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but you're sitting here and you actually can't think of how you might be suffering as a Christian, I'm not talking about suffering for doing dumb things. That's your own problem. You've got to confess your sin. Some of you need to confess your sin about the choices that you've made, and that's the result of your suffering. The Holy Spirit will walk you through that consequences. But if you are not suffering because, you are, because you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're not experiencing suffering, you actually have to ask yourself an honest question. Are you a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because one of the ways that we, are pro- that we prove our faith to be true is in suffering. And if you don't want anything to do with suffering, then I wonder if you want anything to do with Jesus. Because he is our suffering savior. And he says, this is part of the deal. But guess what? You get me. You're in good hands of the good father. And the Holy Spirit is going to indwell you and bring you through. And you will be for your good and his glory. That the world might know that Jesus is real that your faith is real, and that they too would want to follow Jesus. So what's your response today? Will you bow your heads? Lord Jesus, we say we entrust our suffering to you. It's hard, but you already know that. You already know that. Thank you that you took on our suffering, you identify with our suffering, and therefore we can trust you with it. For those who don't yet know you, Lord Jesus, I pray that they would actually turn to you today, 
They would confess their sin. They would know that you will help them through suffering in this life, that you have a great assignment for them, that all of the things that happen in this world are for your greater good, for our greater assignment in eternity. Keep our eyes on you, Lord Jesus. All glory and praise to you in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.